Whatever you do, do not go home and tell your parents you played with the mafia at MBBI, all right? That will not bode well for us. Take your Bibles, if you will, turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, familiar passage. I want to talk to you briefly about a subject that's prevalent in our day and age. We've got all the technology, uh, we've got all the gadgets and all the things to make life easier, and you'd think with that things would be, uh, w- would run a lot smoother, but... Uh, But you find more than anything prevalent these days is the subject of worry. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning speaking about worry. Turn to Philippians 4. You've got it there. We're going to read verses 4 to 8. Many of you probably have it memorized by now. I do. uh, But uh, I want to read it for you. Let's uh, let's read it together. Uh, Actually, I'll read it. And uh, and then for, make sure for uniformity's sake, we're all, uh, we're following out of what I'm going to be reading. It's a new King James. So follow along. In your copy of God's Word, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all mankind. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Just as far as that for now, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the moments that are uh, ahead of us. We'd ask, Lord, that that now the the things of the, the week and the activities of this afternoon and and, and all the, the excitement of the day would, uh, Lord, would be put aside uh, for a few moments as we open your word. We'd ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Uh, teach us, Lord, what your word has to say about worry. And Lord, help us uh, to be students. And uh, Lord, we look forward to saying it's been good in the few minutes before us to be in your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There was a young man who was courting a farmer's daughter, and he went over for dinner one evening to have supper with the family. And after supper, the the husband uh, asked the daughter to go down and get some preserves from the basement for dessert. So the daughter went down uh, into the basement, and as she went down the stairs, she noticed that there was a hatchet dug in the beams above, uh, above the staircase. And as she got thinking about it, as she was down the stairs looking up at it, she began to think to herself, suppose I were to marry this man, this young man that's upstairs that I'm having dinner with this evening. And just suppose that, uh, that we were to have a child together. And suppose we were to inherit this house. And, and my son would grow older and I would send him down here to pick up something after dinner and this axe happened to unlodge from the beam ahead and were to fall on his head and kill him. And she began to have a bit of a breakdown and she sat down on the steps and she didn't return up to the dinner table for the longest time so the mom got kind of worried and she went down there and she didn't return for a few minutes. And the father sitting at the table was a little unsure of all this, and the young man kind of looking awkwardly at things, not knowing really what to do. The husband said, I'll I'll go down and check and see how things are. So he went down there. And after about five minutes, he didn't return either. And so so the the young man, after about 10, 15 minutes, thought, this is awkward. I'll just have a peek down into the cellar steps and see what's going on. 
So he opened the door and he looked down and there he found the whole family together blubbering about the hypothetical death of her imaginary son that had been killed by an axe. All right? In essence, we say that's absolutely nuts. But can I tell you something? That is the stupidity of worry. That is the stupidity of worry. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you worried about anything? Are you worried? You got anxiety about anything? Anxiety is so prevalent in our society today. Uh, there's almost 20 million Americans that suffer from worry and anxiety in a clinical state. It costs the government on average $42 billion a year to treat worry and anxiety in the states. And interestingly enough, hospitalizations are twice as high among women as they are among men. What are people worrying about? Employment? Relationships? Future? What to do after college? What to do after high school? Finances? Interest rates? The whole bit. So much is added on to worry. What are some of the symptoms of worry? An unsettled stomach? It can be a lack of appetite, a negative outlook on each day. It gets more serious. There's, there's heart palpitations, there's sweating, there's chills, there's hot flashes. There's a whole bit when it comes to worry. You see, worrying triggers anxiety. And anxiety feeds worry. Do you see that? Worry triggers anxiety, and anxiety feeds worry. And it becomes a vicious circle, and it can bring an extreme discouragement into a person's life, and if not, totally defeat them altogether. Young people here this morning, let me say this. Satan loves when God's people are anxious and worrisome. You know why? Because the focus becomes on self and situation rather than on God himself. That's what it is. Vance Havner, great old preacher and speaker, says this, and I love it. He says, rocking chair, a worry is like a rocking chair. It'll always give you something to do, but you'll never get anywhere. That's the truth of worry. It'll always give you something to do, but it'll never get you anywhere. The Bible has a lot to say about the subject of worry. I think what Solomon wrote in some of the Proverbs says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Uh, Jesus, talking about it, said, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Jesus, when he was giving the illustration of the, the, the different soils and the seeds that fell upon him, was talking about the seed that, that was planted when it went to grow up. It was choked off by the what? The worries of life. Well, when you come to the fourth chapter of Philippians, Paul writing here to the church at Philippi really gives what I call the cure-all prescription to anxiety. It, it really is a three-dose kind of thing for anxiety. And if anyone had a right to be anxious and worry, it certainly would have been the Apostle Paul, would it not? He was disliked by many. He was under constant persecution. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He was abandoned by friends in ministry. And now we find him in the book of Philippians uh, that we find in this letter that the beloved church and the Christians at Philippi were uh, in division because two ladies couldn't get along and it was causing division in the church. And not only that, we find out that earlier in the book of Philippians, he's, he's got concern with the, the believers in Rome that were having division among them. And added to all this was the possibility of his own death. If anyone had an excuse... To be able to worry, it would have been the Apostle Paul. 
But instead, he didn't worry. And he took the time by the Holy Spirit and penned some really great instructions on how to deal with worry and the secret to winning over worry. I call it Rx or prescription to taking care of anxiety. What is anxiety? Anxiety at the very root of the word means this. It means to be pulled in different directions. You see, our hopes and dreams pull us one way, and, and negative thinking and, and discouragement pull us in another way, and we're, we're being pulled in opposite directions. And you've heard the statement, I'm all torn apart. That, and, at its core sense, is the word anxiety, being torn apart. And you know how that feels like. What about the word worry? Worry in its core meaning really means to be strangled. And you could probably understand that if you've ever worried about something. It's being suffocated. It's, it's not being able to get a full breath. It's, it's just not living out enjoyment because life is being strangled out of you. Doctors tell us worries have, have major consequences in the physical sense too. Range from anything from heart disease to digestion problems and to headaches. But you know what? Above all things, worry and anxiety us rob us of one important thing. The peace and the joy of the Lord. Worry will rob you of the peace and the joy of the Lord in your life. I love what Dr. Warren Wearsby said. He said, really the antidote to worry is this, a secure mind. And it only comes by the peace of God found in verse 7 of this passage. It says, that peace that people don't understand, the peace that surpasses all understanding. How is this accomplished? Well, it really comes in three doses Really three prescriptions. The first one's this. It's having a right perspective. It's having a right perspective. And you read it in verses 4 and 5 of our text. Follow along with me. And what it really is, having a right perspective is this. It's realizing the presence of God. Follow along with me. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Period. The Lord is at hand. Another period. There. And it's interesting, you know as well as I do, we've got 66 books in the Bible and it's broken down into chapters and, and then we break it down into verses from, from there. And that's for our ease and convenience of finding things. But you understand that in the ori- original autographs and letters, there, there weren't verses and numbers to divide things up. And what I find here is sometimes we can have an awkward break in verses You'll find verses 4 and 5 that talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all man or mankind, period. Complete thought. Then we go, the Lord is at hand, period. And then there's a kind of an awkward verse break right there because verse 6 goes on to say, a verse after that, we go on to verse 6 where it says, um, it says be anxious for nothing. That thought of the Lord is at hand really flows naturally into be anxious for nothing. That's, that's a little bit of a bad verse divide, but really the thing is there's no greater source of spiritual stability, stability or confidence in, in, in getting things right and not having worry than knowing that the Lord is at hand. That's really what that is. You want to solve your problem of worry and anxiety this morning? You want to put things in a right perspective. It's practicing the presence of God in closeness with us. We often throw around some some good theological words, don't we? We talk about the omnipotence of God. What is that, students? The omnipotence of God. All 
powerful. You guys know that word. We talk about the omniscience of God. All, all knowing. And, and we understand that God is all powerful, omnipotent. By a spoken word, everything we see came into creation. We wouldn't dispute any of that. And then we'd say omniscient, all-knowing. Who would doubt that God's all-knowing? Eternity, past, present, future. God's all-knowing. Would any of us doubt that? Then we come to the word omnipresent, meaning everywhere present. But when it comes down to this thing of, of knowing that and knowledge by experience, that's where things tend to break down from us. And in the midst of our struggles, that type of theology sometimes goes out the window. Folks, God is present everywhere period he's in this room in essence he surrounds you the god who holds your breath in his very hand your next heartbeat is present with you this morning in this very room he created you he knows you he understands you he empathizes with you i find it interesting we'll we'll take our cars to a mechanic to get our brake service we'll We'll, we'll, we'll eat food that comes out from the back of a restaurant without really thinking of it. We'll trust someone that drills a well down and, and then runs water to our house and, and we drink that and we don't give it a second thought at all. And, and our vehicles, we drive at breakneck speeds down the highway after they've come out of the shop and they've had our brake service. We don't think a thing of it. But when it comes to problems and when we deal with, with difficult experiences in our life, this thing of the practicing the presence of God goes out the window. There seems to be a disconnect there. You've probably all flown in a, in a plane before, and you'll notice that as we, we take off and, and we break through the clouds and, and we get above it all and the sun is shining and there's a beautiful view and things are just going along just wonderfully and the ride's smooth and the seatbelt sign comes off and we're sitting there and maybe we're enjoying a conversation with the person beside us. And then all of a sudden, the seatbelt sign goes on. And the, and the captain comes over the, the speaker system in the cabin. He says, we're approaching some turbulence. I'd ask that you'd buckle up over the next few minutes. Now, you've got two choices in that instance. You can do as he says and buckle up and trust the captain that has, has flown this route probably many times and has thousands of hours under his belt and that's probably been in touch with the plane ahead of them and has radar reports of what the weather's like and, and understand what turbulence is all about. Or you can choose and try to drive the plane from 23B. And it most likely isn't going to go all that well for you if you're sitting there hollering instructions to the pilot about taking her down another thousand feet, trying banking to the right. It just doesn't make sense. In essence... God's got to be in the driver's seat, practicing the presence of God in your life, student. I love what the psalmist says. He says in Psalm 72, 28, the nearness of God is my good. And we all know in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a what? A very present help in trouble. When I was studying this passage this week, it brought me to the mind of the passage in 2 Kings. Uh, you may remember it. Elisha, we'll just make the story real short. Elisha. Uh, uh, he was, he was, the king of Aram was, was always wanting to attack Israel and, 
and he would set up these ambushes. But, but all of a sudden, Elisha was always telling the king of Israel where to have his men placed around. And, and the king's men could never break in against Israel because Elisha was always telling him where the enemy was going to come in. And so the king of Aram thought it would be good while well, he would sneak up on a, Elisha and they found him in Dothan. And I remember if you read the story that, that Elisha standing there with his servant because he's been surrounded in Dothan. And Elijah's servant is having a breakdown and Elisha says to, the, he prays to the Lord and he says, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And do you remember what the servant saw? The hosts of the heavenly armies surrounding the whole area and the presence of God comforted that servant. I'm convinced if our eyes were opened as that servant's eyes were to the presence of God among us, that worry, anxiety, and all that stuff that comes along with it would be a thing of the past. Our faith has to be a substance. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen. You want to get rid of worry in your life? Practice the presence of God. It comes from having a right perspective. What else does it come by? It comes from having what I call right praying. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. You've got to have a a right perspective. Practice the presence of God. But look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Verses 6 and 7. Many of you probably have this memorized. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You notice how the Apostle Paul didn't just say, be anxious for nothing, just pray. End of quote, end of sentence, really. It's not like picking up the phone and dialing 911 with a request to God. Paul didn't say, be anxious for nothing, just start praying about it. Paul took the time to explain what right praying looks like. And it really breaks down into three words. Did you catch them there? Three words. The first one there, it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. By prayer. That word prayer is an interesting word. It, it, it can generally be a word used to just making general requests to God. But commentators also tell us that word prayer has the idea and carries the idea of adoration, devotion, worship. And you say, well, that's really not the normal response for me when I'm going through life's crisis to get alone and start worshiping God. You're right to man. That isn't our normal response, but it's the biblical and spiritual response, what God desires for us to do when we come across difficult circumstances. I think of the cross reference maybe over to James 1, where it says, count it all joy when when you fall into various diverse trials it doesn't make sense from a human perspective but when we find ourselves worrying when we find ourselves anxious we ought to first thing to do is get alone with God get on our knees and understand and worship the God who deserves worship we've got to have an understanding of the greatness and the majesty of God and realize that he's big enough to solve any of our problems if you're like me too often when worry and anxiety comes upon us, we rush into the presence of God and hastily give Him a shopping list of things that are on our minds that we need taken care of. It's not like that. 
It's about getting alone with God and saying, I don't understand everything that's going on right now that's happening in my life, but God, I'll worship you knowing that you see an eternity uh, to the future and eternity past what and how this is going to work out in my life and I'll trust you with it and I'll worship you in that manner. That's not, that's not something that, that we think normally about. And you're saying, well, well who does that? How is that ever done? Does anyone ever do that or is that just Paul's words? Well, Paul wasn't one to just write things and not follow through with them. Do you remember when he and Silas were thrown into prison in Philippi? And it tells us after they'd had many stripes laid on them, tell me that's not something to worry about and have concern about. After they'd had many stripes on them, they were commanded to be put in the inner part of the prison and secured together there. They were most likely naked and, and put together and chained and probably chained to two other guards for a source of humiliation. And we find at midnight, what are they doing? They're singing and praising God. And we read a little bit later on that an earthquake and the, the door opened. Tell me that Paul's somewhat equation here on, on how, having sol- and how to solve worry doesn't work. Paul experienced it every day in his life. Guys, practice the presence of God. But practice right praying. That word prayer. And then, and then he goes on to say, by prayer and supplication. That's an interesting word because it, it goes a bit deeper than general prayer. Supplication talks about emphasizing a request, a, a specific need. It's not half-hearted, insincere prayer. And it's not really vain repetition. Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with this. Please help me with this. It's not that type of thing. It's a, it's a pouring out your heart to God deep down with what's burdening you. God knows, but he wants to hear anyway. Jesus prayed that way, did he not? Do you remember when uh, he went into the garden the night before he was crucified? And it says in Hebrews 5, 7, the author says, He who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, we talked about that, says, with supplications, with vehement cries and tears. And while the disciples slept outside of the gate... Jesus sweat great drops of blood in his supplication. That's the pouring out of a specific request. Paul really finishes off the equation where he says the third word, with thanksgiving. This This is the difficult one. With thanksgiving. When we feel overwhelmed and concerned and anxieties kind of over top of us. Being thankful is probably the furthest thing from our minds, isn't it? Yet, thanksgiving should really accompany all Christian praying as we acknowledge that whatever God has in for it is for our good. Being thankful because whatever God has us in and whatever predicament you find yourself in, it's for our good. I love what... The great Bible teacher, Dr. MacArthur, says, he says, We give thanks through the trials of life because they are God's fertile ground for revival and growth. Can I say that again? We ought to be giving thanks to God through the trials of our life because they are God's fertile ground for revival and growth. You worrying about something this morning? You worrying about your future as to, boy, where do I... Where I'd, I'd attend here. I'm coming up near the end of high school this year. 
Maybe students are thinking, I'm in my third year, I'm in my fourth year, and I haven't a clue what it looks like there, and, and you're starting to lose sleep over it, and you're thinking, I don't understand what this is all about. Practice the presence of God. Understand that, that the will of God isn't some thing you've just got to throw a dart at and hope you hit it. The will of God is being in His Word. And as we pursue those God-given interests, He'll close those doors and open other ones if they're not meant to be. It's not something that really God wants us to spend 40 years of our life trying to find. Practice the presence of God. Practice right praying. And the third real prescription dose is this. Practice right thinking. Right thinking. I'm told that the human brain, when running at full capacity, could power a 10-watt bulb for a five-hour period. That doesn't say a whole lot about our thinking capacity. I kind of insulted when I read that stat. I thought I could power most of Victoria Corner, the, ma- <laughs> the way my brain goes. But yeah, someone calls you dimwit, take it as a compliment because you'll know your brain is working well. But right thinking, we haven't got the time to read it all, but in Proverbs we read that for as... He thinks in his heart, so he is. Isaiah came out and said uh, that thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. He gives a list of eight things. I'm not even going to begin to get into them because our time's few. But I, I would challenge you, there's eight things there. And it starts off with this, whatever things are true. And I think that's there for a very important reason. Paul says, whatever, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. And he goes on and he says, whatever things are true, there's a list of eight things. I encourage you to write them down and go study them out. But let me just say, the first thing Paul says is when you're trying to get things in proper perspective and, and you, you've got, you're practicing the presence of God and, and you're right praying is to have right thinking. First of all, he says, focus on whatever things are true. Do you know doctors tell us that only 8% of things that people worry about and are anxious about ever come to pass? Eight percent well 92 percent are either imaginary never happen or involve matters of which we could have no control over anyway there was a man that uh, was talking to his friend he says man i've got a mountain of credit card debt i've lost my job my car has been repossessed our house is in foreclosure but I'm not worried about it at all. Not worried about it at all, exclaimed his other friend. Why aren't you worried about that at all? He says, no, no, I've, I've figured it all out. I, I've hired a professional warrior, a professional warrior to do all that for me. All, all this, uh, he just takes care of, he worries about things for me. He said, well, that's fantastic, the other man says. How much does that cost you? He says, it cost me another 50 grand a year. He said, 50 grand a year? He said, well, that's fantastic, but how in the world are you going to take that? Are you not worried about being able to fix up with them? He says, that's not my problem at all. That's his to figure out. <laughs> you know, when it comes right down to it, in a sense, as God's people, we have a professional worrier for us. Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares, my cares, upon him. For he cares for us. You don't have to worry about it. We have a professional worrier, if I can, I can use it in that sense, who cares, loves, and thinks of us at all times. 
Can I read you what Philip says in his commentary about this verse? He puts it this way. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties, throw the whole weight of your worries upon him, for you are his personal concern. You worried about something this morning? You worried about your future? Practice having a right perspective. Realize God's present right now with you. Practice right praying. That comes with adoration, supplication, and thanksgiving. And finally, practice right thinking, which is really substitutionary thinking. The wrong that goes in, replace it with the right that we know is from scriptural truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, how it is so clear. Lord, it's not some man-made equation for uh, those of us that think we need a weak crutch. Lord, this is the very spoken word of God who created all of eternity, created all of, of what we see. You don't want to see your people, Lord, in worry and anxiety because it takes our very mind and focus off you. Help us to take to these practical uh, practical truths that Paul wrote about, a man that knew all about worry so much, yet defeated it. Pray for these students, Lord, as they, as they look to go out from high school maybe in the next year. Pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes. Maybe it would be that they would come here for a year and, and get a, a biblical world, uh, a world view, Lord, that would help them hold tight to the situations around them. Maybe it would be for them to be elsewhere. We don't know, Lord, but we want to know your will and not worry about it. We thank you for this time, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.